Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Janine Between the Lines. It is me. It's me, Janine. Today's episode is going to be the first installment of the We the Animals series. So, just in case, if you haven't picked up the book, if you haven't read the book, that's okay. You can still listen. We're going to be talking about things like being the only child and being a minority and stuff that you can relate to even if you haven't read the book. However, if you are planning on reading the book, be forewarned. This chapter is going to be about the first six... What? This episode is going to be about the first six chapters of the novel. So, spoilers, 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 spoiler alert. If you aren't already, go ahead and follow me on on Anchor. Follow me on Twitter too, at JanineBTL. I would love love to have you love to have you as one of my fellow listeners and friends still sick guys anyways thank you thank you thank you for listening and i hope you enjoy the episode stay tuned gonna lie to you guys it's been a it's been a rough past few days just depending just waiting on this authorization to take this nursing exam apologies in advance for the fan in the background it is like 933 degrees in florida right now we got that knock on wood but that hurricane's coming it's just drawing up some hot air just pressing it towards us but I've been through the ringer lately, so stressed, and honestly, reading this book, it's so good, it's really good, but like, it takes me back to a time, it doesn't exactly put me in a good mood, which doesn't take away from its like gratification or how great I think it is, but the chapter that kind of grabbed me initially and I was like had me thinking I stopped and thought it's the chapter heritage where the three boys they're um coming home from school and their paps is drunk right so he's got this um the music on super loud he's drinking and then he just he says he turns the stereo so loud that even if they screamed, no one could hear. And then as I was reading, I was like, oh crap, something's going to go really bad, really wrong. So they're all dancing and it seems like a good time and stuff. But then he starts shouting out these things. So the first thing he says, he's like, okay, now shake it like you're rich. His powerful voice booming over the music. And then it's funny because he gives them these commands, like shake it like blank. Da 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 da, like shake it like you're something so dance like you're rich or dance like you're poor and it's weird to me because every time um so he says so shake it like you're rich and then we dance on our tiptoes sticking up our nose and poking the air above us with our pinkies so it's kind of like every every like category that he commands of them i feel like the author is showing us like kind of generalizations of that um population so he's like shake it like you're rich then he's like you ain't rich now shake it like you're poor 
And then he said we got low on our knees, clenched our fists, and stretched our arms out on our sides. Throw our heads back while loose and free. So it's like, they're obviously like in agony. At first, the first one, he's like poking the air above us with our pinkies, sticking up our noses like rich people are stuck up and stuff. And then poor people, super low to the ground, begging. That's the image that was painted in my head. And then he goes, this part is the part that gets me. He goes, uh, you ain't poor neither. They were poor, though. Now shake it like you're white. So if you didn't know this, um, if you haven't read up on what the book is about or anything like that, this book is centered around three children that are half white and half Puerto Rican. So he goes, shake it like you're white. And he goes, we moved like robots, stiff and angled, not even smiling. Joel was the most convincing. We'd seen him practicing in his room. And then his papa shouted, you ain't white. Now shake it like you're Puerto Rican. And they said, there's a pause as we gather ourselves. And um, they said that they started to mambo as best as they could. And then, so then at the very end, when he was done saying that, he basically calls his kids mutts. He says, you ain't white and you ain't Puerto Rican. Watch how a purebred dances. Watch how we dance in the ghetto. Every word was shouted over the music, so it was hard to tell if he was mad or just making fun. So Justin Torres goes on to describe like the fluidness and how um, naturally it came to his their father to be dancing, like mamboing and um, painting this image of this Puerto Rican man just drunk and kind of showing off to his kids that um you know he was a purebred and he goes this is your heritage as if from this dance we could know about his childhoods about the flavor and grit of tenement buildings in Spanish Harlem and just about all of his Spanish movements and you know being raised in that environment which you know they're kids (laughs) i think that's the part that that angers me the most you know do you guys think it's a curse word to say it pisses you off is that a filipino thing my mom used to get so mad i'd be like yeah but he pissed me off like if i got in a fight with my brothers like i'm not don't say that even shut up like they'd get mad when we would tell each other to shut up i mean my brothers would be like that's not even a curse word so I just I read that chapter and it just brought up like a lot of memories and the thing that was significant for me or in terms of my ethnicity so you guys know it's in my description I'm Filipino American both of my parents are from the Philippines and I was born and raised here in Jacksonville So, as a Pacific Islander Asian growing up, I went to public school, and I think that the chapter Heritage really brought out um, thoughts about how I, like, was able to build my identity and really become comfortable with the way that I am now, because it was a struggle, (laughs) Not to say, like, I don't want this to sound ignorant at all. 
and of course you know I'm open to everything like please correct me if you know might you think my thinking is flawed in a nice way we can be constructive guys but I want to know if you feel differently than me so how many of you regardless of your race how many of you like went through a bunch of different transitions like trying to fit into like a bunch of stereotypes that had to do with like what was expected of that race right like I feel like for me it all started in middle school because in elementary school I don't really think that you I could be wrong but in my experience people don't um this is how I categorize it I think elementary school that's where you're like trying to be friends with everybody and impress like whoever's in your class and you don't really I don't think the traits that I had in elementary school really carried over and it didn't impact me like as much as middle school did because middle school is like when I like I talked about in my OTT like I had a lot of traumatic experiences and you know significant experiences that kind of make me who I am today but as a Filipino American you know we would always get compliments that like you know well I'm tan and people ever since maybe late elementary and in middle school they'd be like oh Janine like you can hang out with the black people or you can hang out with white people. Like, it doesn't matter since you're Asian and go both ways. Like, you can choose who you want to be, like, how you want to act. And in elementary school, I had a very diverse set of friends. Um, but anyways, fast forward to middle school. I remember, so this is funny because we all, I want to know how many of you went through this phase with me. So, sixth grade to seventh grade it probably had something to do with me being surrounded by my brothers too but I would only listen to like hip-hop and R&B I know it's funny because people make fun of guys that would dress in like South Pole and Echo and like G-Unit and all this kind of stuff but I would try to mirror that too I'd be like I don't know how many Air Force Ones I had I had K-Swiss was a big thing. I would cry because my mom and dad, like, I wanted the white ones and the black ones. We wanted, like, all these high-cut shoes with, like, just... I didn't have money for no Jordans, but I would, like, borrow all of my friends that did. All of my friends' shoes. I had big feet, but I would freaking squeeze and, like... What else did I do? Um, we would come home, watch music videos all the time, like, BET would always be on, and it's funny, because, um, that's who I was trying to, like, mold myself into, from 6th grade to 7th grade, and then in 7th grade, I don't know what changed me, but then I wanted to, like, switch up, I wanted to switch up my identity, and one story that comes to mind is, um, there's this girl who was in my seventh grade class. I started to notice that um, the white people in my class were the quote unquote most popular. So, you know, everyone has that desire to be like the best liked and 
all that kind of stuff. So I had this lab partner in my science class, right? Am I going to say her name? Let's call her Kaylee, Kaylee Thompson. <laughs> um, so she was this girl and she was at that time, I thought she was the prettiest girl in the world. She was like white tan. She had, she was a brunette with like blonde streaks in her hair. She wore Hollister and Abercrombie all the time. Not my janky like Aeropostale friggin' uh, collared shirts with the camis underneath. Like, no, she always had the brand names. Like, she would always be wearing like cute little sandals with Vera Bradley matching wallets and purses and backpacks, and all the guys wanted to be her. So, wanted to be her (laughs) wanted to talk to her and all that stuff so just imagine me I'm like this little Asian girl literally looking up to her and I wanted to be her I wanted to be her friend I wanted to hang out with her and I want to do this and I wanted my even though I was Asian like I was like oh I want to be like this white girl you know what I mean and um I remember we had this science project where we had to collect a bunch of these um, plants and like flowers and stuff and we would have to press them and put them in this little portfolio and I did so much of the work for her because I was like trying to suck up and hang out with her outside of class it was kind of ridiculous it was pretty freaking ridiculous and then like I don't know I, I don't know if that carried on into like 8th grade but let me think I think eighth grade I was pretty neutral because I started hanging out with people of like my race I had a a majorly Asian like friend group in eighth grade I think so what did that whole story have to do with really anything um where I was trying to go with it was that at a young age it took a significant like timeline of events to get me to the place of where I was around um I want to say 10th or 11th grade sophomore junior year of high school was a big like not coming of age but like I don't have words today it was a big defining time where I came to the realization that regardless of how people, what people thought about me, what I thought about other people, regardless of how I, how receptive I was to other cultures and what I liked and what I didn't like, and um, what else about how other races viewed me, um, I just realized that I'm not a wannabe white girl. I'm not a wannabe black girl. I can like All Time Low and Mayday Parade and The Main. But I can also like old school like Diddy and Biggie. Freaking Pharrell. What was what was popping at that time? Like Youngberg. (laughs) What was on the music videos? Uh Dem Franchise Boys. Like 
I, it took me probably up to that point to be like, I don't have to define myself as one race to be happy, like with my personality and my being. So again, 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 where was I going with that? So like, you see, like, these kids in this book, and their father, and like I said, I'm not going to say it was easy. I'm eating a banana. I went through a lot of um, self-doubt and criticism, like, oh, I should be acting this way, I should be acting this way, and then it's crazy to me how regardless of all that, I could still come home and, you know, my parents loved me. They still love me. <laughs> and, um, you know, they never really, like, n- negatively, like, uh, criticized, like, which direction I would be going in. But then you have Paps here, like, clearly defining these lines of what white people act like and what rich people or poor people or and it's it kind of sucks I can't at such a young age too that could be a good or bad thing because who knows if they're going to carry it like over over the next few years but what I wrote on my sticky note can you tell I'm super not as organized as my little women one like if I think that it was in the slightest bit hard for me to find my identity and personality and like be okay with it, how how much harder would it be if you were a mixed race or, you know, like, like these kids? Because something that sticks with me, it's like, it's almost impossible to fill a stereotype well you know what I mean when you're trying to do it like when it's obvious that you're trying of course it looks more natural to like if it comes naturally to you you know if you're raised a certain way but like these half Puerto Rican half white kids like how is this gonna affect how they identify themselves like in the real world or when I hope that Justin, I hope the author, like, paints that picture of how they act in school or how they're treated during school. Maybe it's in the coming chapters. I guess we'll find out together. But, like, and maybe I'm just seeing it this way because that's how it was in the past. Like, it's really hard. Oh, man. I've seen, like, people get bullied way harder than me for, like, say a white person who's trying to fit in with like the black crowd or this is middle school speaking and high school high school too or like you see like um a black woman trying to like get close to like people and like a white group of friends you know and I just feel fortunate to be ethnicity that I am like at this point in my life I'm like oh yeah like I think I would have gotten I have been criticized less for like the way I acted just because I was like in a different category I don't know I wasn't white I wasn't black and 
I don't have the personal experience to wonder like, oh, how was it if you're like Mexican? Like that's a whole another story. And I want to hear thoughts. I have a couple friends reading. Um, Remuel, I hope Paulina is reading. I want to know what she thinks. Like, what was, what was it? Or Paulina, if you're listening, what was it like for you? Like coming, coming to terms with like how your with your personality and like how you acted and stuff. You know. My dog always just opens the door like it's nothing. So, one, one moment. And luckily we're in a culture, like this book takes place in the 1980s, you know? But more and more over time as time goes on like assimilation and like people being okay with like mixed races and that's a whole nother story too like my parents wouldn't want me to date like someone outside of my race for the longest time that's just how they were raised and oh man the conversation of like what he said about this is your heritage and watch how a pure blood like does things that's a whole I would I hope I read, get to read a book about that we can talk about it later but like first question of the podcast for you guys like what do you think is more traumatic or what do you think is more difficult Would it be a situation like in, what's that movie? In ATL? Like, what's harder? A black child growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood or a white child growing up in a predominantly black neighborhood? Like that, nature versus nurture. Like, what's going to... I guess, yeah, let's put it in today's setting. So that situation, like, right now in 2018. Like, who do you think would be more... Who would have the greatest success rate in life? I don't mean that to be, like, a like a judgmental question. I just want to see, like, what you guys think. Because when I was reading the heritage thing, I was just like, dang, man, like, why is the dad, (laughs) why is he, they're gonna grow up, like, thinking, like, there's these fine lines, and I guess at the time, there were, like, those differences of, like, big old gaps between poor and, you know, the impoverished and, like, the rich people and, I guess whites and Puerto Ricans, but I don't know. I read that and I was like, wow. I think I had it pretty good and I'm fortunate for that. I'm really listening to that last recording and I, I don't like the way that I phrased my question.
So let's put it in this perspective. Or let's change the situation, flip the script completely. So do you think that a child of mixed race, say, like Manny and Joel and Tim, like a half white, half black child, how would he respond to be raised to being raised in a predominantly white environment versus a predominantly black environment? Which do you think would be more accepting? I think that sounds better. Because I didn't want to take it like, you know, the blind side versus ATL, you know what I mean? Because there's a lot of like stuff that go into a a lot of factors in there but I really apologize guys my mind is everywhere but I really wanted to um talk about the book today sorry if this isn't one of the more exciting ones (laughs) I'm a failure Uh, I didn't even ask how you guys were how is everybody I'm like rubbing my face in agony. <laughs> and I know full well that I botched the intro saying that part of this was going to be about being the only child. Deaf meant. Deaf meant like the youngest child. Because that's where I'm coming at in the next, the next chapter I want to talk about. Seven. This is the one that I tweeted. <laughs> My friend Issa sent me, like, a Snapchat. It was like, oh my god, this chapter with, like, crying faces on it. And I was like, I know, right? And I know I'm not a boy, but I guess I can kind of relate. Like, so her mom was pretty much talking about how when Joel and Manny turned seven, they stopped um, letting them, like, what did she say? She said... They changed, wriggled away when I tried to cuddle them, wouldn't sit on my lap, I had to let them go, had to harden my heart, they wanted to smash things, to wrestle. And then, um, what's it called? So she's talking about how um, loving big boys is different from loving little boys. You got to meet tough with tough, it makes me tired. Sometimes that's all and I don't want you to leave me, I'm not ready. I'm like steady trying to find the little boy's name that's narrating and I had to like look it up like I guess he's unnamed why was I thinking his name was Leon or something if I totally missed it guys in the beginning like I don't think that they said his name so unnamed boy the youngest his ma is pretty much just telling him like I never want you to grow up when they ask how old you are, say I'm six plus one plus two plus more. You'll be telling them that no matter how old you are, you're my baby boy. And like, hashtag I felt that. Like, I can't come from a place of experience now. I haven't had children or anything. But, um,. Like, I am the youngest. And I know what it feels like for, like, your mom and dad to be clinging to you. Like, for instance, this... I I was meaning to write this down and talk about it, like... 
So I'm moving in less than a month. And my dad, I have a very close relationship with my dad. And he was telling me how... <laughs> um, Hi, plane. He was telling me how, like... Well, here's the thing. Like, my mom is also a nurse, and she's really excited for me to move and start my career. And then my dad, on the other hand, like, yes, I know he's proud of me, but he doesn't want me to leave. Like, he wants me to stay home and work here, so I, I'm within reaching distance and all of this kind of stuff. And it's crazy because not only am I the only child, or no, <laughs> not only am I the youngest I'm the only girl, too. So the protective factor goes up fourfold. Plus, I'm a sickly kid. Getting better. A lot better. I had a checkup today, and it was amazing. But, like, that makes it go up tenfold. You know what I mean? Like, he feels like, I, what am I doing? Moving. I've got all these issues, you know? But we had a conversation, like, in the car. And for the past, like, few weeks and stuff, he's like been acting strange around me like I know it's because I'm moving soon and he doesn't he's like passively trying to like say things to get me to want to stay home you know what I mean and he's like yeah I just think you should save money and yeah you know I support you you know that I'm proud of you da 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 like but I just keep thinking, like, how much easier for you it will be so you don't have to worry, so you can save, like, money to do this, this, and this. And I'm like, Dad, you're not saying that for for me. You're saying that, like, for you. Like, you want me to save because of this. Like, it's... I wouldn't be happy with myself if, like, I didn't take the chances that I'm taking. And I've told him this before like what I wanted to say at that point in time because this has been happening over the past like month or so and I'm like of course I would expect nothing less for him to act like I wouldn't expect him to act any different than he's acting now but what I want to say to him is I want to be like dad (laughs) Like, no matter what you say, like, I'm not, there's nothing in me that wants to stay in Florida or will be happy if I stay in Florida. Like, I'm not scared. I'm not worried. And, like, props to you for, like, props to you for like raising me to be like a strong independent woman you know what I mean that like I feel like I can conquer the world but I have the confidence and like will to like be able to do this like on my own like I'm not afraid of the struggle and no matter how much like how worried you will be about me like I'm not worried about it I'm not afraid of it like you raised me to be, like, the stubborn, like, person to go, to, like, go after what I want and follow my dreams, like, to no avail, like, 
just keep pushing no matter what. Like that's, you can't be mad at me for wanting to do those things when you raised me to be that way. You know what I mean? So the way that the mom is clinging on to her youngest and the way that like my dad is trying to get me to stay, it kind of like, even though we're at different like age ranges, it kind of, it kind of adds up. You know what I mean? Um, I was having a conversation with Hallie, my guest on that OTT, like I talked to her mom a lot and Hallie eventually wants to leave the nest as well, of course. And um, we were riding in the car from getting like donuts or something. My dog, I swear. Go away. Go. So he, um, so Holly's mom was, we were having a conversation about how like, oh, how are your parents feeling? I was like, oh no, they don't want me to go, but like, um, I'm going anyways. <laughs> so, um, she was like, you know, Janine, like, your kids, like, when you have kids or when you, like, have a family and then you watch your children grow up and watch your children love you but, like, grow away from you, she's like, you are never <laughs> freaking prepared for that. Like, I guess it's different because some, some, like, kids grow up and then when they're, uh, when their children or when they hit college, some parents are like, oh, go ahead. Like, once you're 18, like, you can move out, you can do this, like, go to the dorms or go get an apartment and all this kind of stuff. But, like... My parents never want me to leave. They don't, they don't want, they never had that mentality of like getting rid of me. You know what I mean? That's because I love, like, it goes both ways. Like, my parents love to spend time with me and I love to spend time with my parents. Like, same goes with my siblings. Like, when I think about like people that like don't have close relationships with their siblings, I'm like, how? Me and my brothers, like, we spent every single day of our freaking childhood together. Like, I just can't imagine a different, like, situation. And, you know, it's individual for each family dynamic and stuff. But that's how I was raised. And, like, Hallie's mom told me, like, when you're kids, like, you put so much into your children like when you have children especially as a woman as a mom like literally when you're eating you are eating for the baby you are gathering nutrients for your baby you more than half of the food goes to the thing that's growing inside you right so physically you're giving almost everything to your child then you have the baby there it is you're holding this baby you're feeding it with your breasts your body is producing more from the food from the nutrition from the nutrition that you're receiving to produce nutrition for the small baby right so you're giving physically always working physically putting energy 
and not to mention love. Yeah, I guess that's a small part. <laughs> You're like, mind, body, and soul is all about this baby, right? And all of your mind and your emotions and pouring out your love and the ache to like raise this child and provide a sweet loving home again speaking in terms of like how I feel about like my parents you know what I mean like you watch them grow you hope that you can shape them to be a great person a happy person you know to have a good impact on the world and then you've poured in so much for this person and then bloop like they want to move away they want to you've given them everything and then they want to leave ain't that crazy so she goes so Ali's mom's like that's like the single thing that they don't tell you about parenting like your parents won't tell you about how hard it is to like let your kids go and like that's the one thing that you're never prepared for as a parent pretty much the culmination of this chapter seven plus the chapter of heritage and how I would never want people to like go through like that part that part of your freaking childhood is hard so like seeing the mom and how she feels about her kids growing up and growing away from her and then my personal experiences plus like not wanting to relive that part of my childhood regardless of how important it was to where I am now like am I the only one that doesn't want to have kids anymore I think I said it in my first little women episode like yes I was I was a girl who wanted to have her whole life planned out that's just how I am was per se like Okay, if I graduate college by 21, 22, and I meet the love of my life at 23, 24 at the latest, I'll be in my prime childbearing years in my late 20s, mid to late, 26 to 27-ish. For some reason, I had a weird cap on like 30, like, okay, maybe you should, you better have something solid going on by 30, but like, ah. Uh, Ah, does that sound like Peter Griffin? Ah, like I don't know if I have that in me anymore. And I never thought I'd say that about myself. But it's sobering. It's a weird thing to think because. I love kids. If you didn't know, I used to volunteer my, with my mom in the NICU. So she um, works with preemies and um, very sick babies. She's been working there for over 30 years. So I volunteered with her for a while at the hospital. And I worked at 
my um my local YMCA in our kids zone so like our child watch center so we'd take kids from like six weeks old to 12 years old and I I'm not one of those I love children like oh heck yeah I always get baby fever at random times but like a lot of things have played into me wanting to be like selfish for a little bit this book too because like man how unfair is it to have to give up something that you've put your whole life into (laughs) that's not fair it's mine it has to stay forever and look at me like that's completely contradicting to like me wanting to leave my parents and I know it's just the cycle of life but like you know, and I know how you don't go through that emotional trauma. You just don't have children. You don't bring babies into this messed up freaking world. Meanwhile, the other side of my heart is like, I can't wait to raise like a beast child and get to have a little mini me like running around, laying on my chest, taking a nap after I get three minutes of sleep in a whole day give me that love like I want it sometimes but this is the most I've like not wanted it and I guess that's 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 logical for me obviously duh how are you gonna get have a baby like I obvi don't need to have baby fever right now there's too much going on and I'm on too many dangerous medicines so I held a Twitter poll about a week ago, about a week ago, and there were so many votes, Like, but it was it's crazy because it was split right down the middle of six total votes. <laughs> so it was a 50-50 shot of like, has society scared you away from the thought of having children? So people, half of them said yes and half of them said no. Thanks for participating, guys. And, you know, nice reflection on my my own personal thoughts, Twitter Janine, and Twitter results, because I do go 50-50. I love children, and I, I think if I come to that point in my life where I'm, like, going that way and ready to start a family or, like, wanting to, I think I'd be a hella good mom. Frick, I love that baby to death. I freaking love babies, man. If you love babies, give me an applause. If you don't, give me an applause anyways. Freaking love babies, but I don't. I, I, you better stay with me. Maybe technology 10 years from now. It's like my mom. She She loves... She looks at my dog, Archie. She's like, oh my god, can they just stay a puppy forever? Where can we get one that will stay nine months forever? I'm like, nah, they grow up. So she just wants to keep them as a baby. What if people, like, freaking engineers make it so your freaking cells stop multiplying and you're just a baby for life? That's kind of scary to think about. So those were the main two chapters that I kind of wanted to hit on that provoked most of my thought. 
and want for discussion. Um, I thought the, like, the parallelisms that Justin used... Should I call him Mr. Torres? Is that more respectful? The analogies that he used for Manny Joel and the youngest brother as, like, friggin' the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, like, just iconic. Like, the Three Musketeers. What else were they? A few other things. I thought that was really cool in that U.S. proper chapter, but I just want to know. Do you guys have other favorite parts of these first six chapters? Is there something that you wish that I would have touched on more? What was your favorite quote? What do you think about my um my takeaways? I want um voice recordings. That is what I want and that is what I'm asking for. Because I want people to hear your beautiful voices on my next episode. How awesome would that be? Or you could tweet me, of course. I want to have like that conversation going on while I'm reading, you know what I mean? And that's something I guess we'll have to establish as time goes on. And something for me to, you know, I should probably elaborate more. You know what, Anchor, if you're ever listening, I think it would be cool if you ever had a feature that had like bulletins, like hashtag MySpace days, you know what I mean? Like uh, where we can send announcements to our listeners and stuff. So are you guys going to hate me if I apologize for this episode? Like I know that my mind, I'm not going to lie, like my mind has been in 30 different places at once. And to be honest, talking and reading this book is kind of my escape. So if it's translated on and I'm, you can hear how burdened I am because of outside life and non-interesting non-podcast things that are like taking over me like if that comes across as like uninterested in this podcast I apologize that's shouldn't let it get to me you know what I mean can't control the things that you can't freaking control isn't that what they say I think that's what they say, but I have exciting, exciting news. Not only are we going to be going over the next six, seven chapters, chapters seven through, let's call it seven through 14. Not only will we be going over chapters seven through 14 in the next episode, but I'm going to have a very, very, very special and esteemed guest. Um... I'll do a baby intro. Her name is Roxanne Lim. She resides in New York at this time. I've known her for a very, very long time. She's a very close friend of mine. She is the founder of her own magazine called Mosaic Minds. She's done internships across New York. A hip-hop goddess. The smallest most accomplished little fusion that I know. She's an extremely creative director and she's working on working on and has previously worked on a number of independent films. Just a prime example of an accomplished progressive beautiful well-rounded woman. 
Her name is Roxanne. She's a fellow, fellow beetle. <laughs> That's what I'm going to call you guys who read with me. My little BTLs, my beetles. And if you don't follow me on Twitter, well, when will I stop plugging it? Um, she's one of my, she's one of my peeps that was like, oops, I read almost the whole book in one sitting. So I was like, you know what? What else can I ask for my dedicated, beautiful friend? So I can't wait to introduce her to you in the next episode. We're going to have a great conversation about those next chapters. Ask me, ask me any, any questions, whether it's about um, these six or the next few. Tweet me your emotions while you're reading. And before I go, just want to say thank you again for listening, for putting up with me. Remember to keep your eyes open. Ooh, who is sneezing? Look, my dog is... I have to take a picture of you guys. I'll tweet it. Um, anyways, yeah, just thanks for listening. I can't wait to talk to you in the next one. And I love you very, very much. Happy reading. Have a great day, night, morning, weekend, wherever you are. And always, 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 never deprive yourself of pizza. I love you all. Bye.